This morning, again, I don't, I don't have just one set of scriptures that I'm going to be going to today. I'm going to be pulling from a lot of different directions in the Bible. Um, so probably if you're the easiest way to follow along, if you do have your devices to go to Uversion and click on live event and uh, punch in Covington First Assembly or our zip code, it'll come up and uh, click on that and, and, and follow us that way. If not, everything will be on the screen. So you'll be able to see everything. If you want to write it down and look it up and highlight some things later, that'll be okay too. Uh, there's a few scriptures that we'll go through pretty quick, but most of them you'll probably be able to keep up with me on. But this morning I'm going to continue on talking about the face of God, seeking out His uh, character, His nature, the attributes of God. Has this been pretty good so far, Find out who God is? You've been a little bit confronting and, and yet still a little bit rejoicing. Today will be a little bit more confrontive and uncomfortable. Um, that's just kind of God's nature. He's not all warm and fuzzy marshmallowy, folks. He is a little bit marshmallowy because we want some more of him. Ha! <laughs> Greg and Joyce, good to have you back with us again. Uh, we love you guys, and, and I, I'll speak for them. I know they've said thank you many times to all the people that have come through. The food prepared, the ladies did a tremendous job in and, and, uh, ministering to them. And we're just going to continue to love on you guys. We love you. Stephen was very special to our church and to me personally, and, and uh, he won't be forgotten. And, and neither will you two. We love you guys tremendously and still feeling your pain and uh, being prayerful for, prayerful for you, if I can say it properly, and we'll continue to be praying for you. We love you guys. Uh, this morning... We'll talk about the justice of God a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Everybody has it memorized by now. I know you do. We're still talking about seeking this, this face, seeking the character and nature of who God is this morning. And uh, we're going to just continue to talk about it. I don't know how much longer I'll do it because, folks, really I could spend the rest of my life on this. Right? And then when we get to eternity someday, we'll spend all of eternity on this too, figuring out who He is. I just wanted to kind of scratch the surface of who our God is and, and really kind of to, to thwart some of the myths about who God is uh, because, because there are some out there, amen? This morning we're going to talk about one of them a little bit, but uh, God, is, God is good. Ooh, some of you slow. God is good. And all the time, we talked about that last week, and uh, today I'm going to kind of go into His justice. And folks, you can't have justice without goodness. And you can't have goodness without justice. You can't. You've got to have both hand in hand. When you are perfect, when God is perfect, you've got to have both. You can't have one or the other. You can't have one outweighing the other. It's got to be equal, it's got to be balanced, and it's got to be done correctly and done right. When we look in the Scriptures, Psalm 89, 14, uh, and Psalm 97, 2, we're going to look at these in a second, but when you look at these, the, the, uh, you'll find that it's indistinguishable from righteousness and justice. Justice and judgment, righteousness and holiness go hand in hand. God's goodness and His justice go hand in hand. It's indistinguishable. Uh, Psalm 89, 14, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. These are the foundations of God's throne. This is who He is. This is the very root of who, who He is. He's righteous and just. 
This is our God. And then we look here in Psalm 97 two, clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. We have in 14 of 89, we see love and faithfulness going before him. And then 97 two, we see clouds and thick darkness surrounding him. And then in both of these, we see there's foundations of faithfulness and, and justice in his throne. Righteousness, what in the world are we talking about? This God that in one moment is full of love and wonderful things and then dark clouds surrounding him. But yet there's a goodness, there's a righteousness, and there's justice that are the foundations of His throne. Folks, when it, when it comes to God, we have to remember what a great picture the Lord gave us with John in Revelation when He says, go and take the scroll and eat it. And John eats the scroll, and, he, and the Lord tells him before he eats it, because God's not a liar, it's really cool we see that God doesn't lie, John, take the scroll and eat it. It's going to be sweet as honey in your mouth, but then turn bitter in your stomach. And John says, I eat the scroll, it's sweet as honey in my mouth, and then turns bitter in my stomach. Folks, when it comes to God, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to who He is, depending on where you are with Him, it's either going to be sweet as honey or it's going to be bitter. And His justice is one of these things where it's either sweet as honey or it's bitter. And we're going to look at this this morning. Because God's a good God. God is very good. And the thing is, is that when we look at this, we understand this about God. God is, is morally equal or balanced, which enables Him to make truly just judgment. Do you know that you can't just be good and not be just and just and be good? I, I, I was at a basketball game yesterday. In uh, seventh grade and eighth grade basketball by county tournament, and and uh, do you know that there are certain teams? You know that teams will take on the mentality of their coach and what their coach allows them to do. If the coach allows them to be mean and and, and purposefully try to hurt girls, they will. And I purposely I saw that in the game, and then I saw uh, parents stand up and threaten to fight each other. And then I saw Derek Holy Cross turn around and tell everybody they're acting like idiots. It's a seventh grade game. Sit down and stop it. <laughs> and so I sent a text to Derek. I sent him a text and said, you're my hero. <laughs> I mean, let me give you an example of a coach. Let's just say there's a coach and he's a really good coach. And uh, he's got, let's say he's undefeated in his wins. And we can look in and say, well, that coach is a good coach. Really? You can't define a coach just by the good things he brings into you. You also have to see how he won those wins. Did he cheat? You can't be good and not just. How did that coach get that win? Did he play players that are supposed to be suspended and bend the rules so that he could get another win? You can't be good and be just. I don't care how many wins a coach has. If he's not got any integrity, he's not a good coach. God, in the same way, may have a lot of wins in our life and may do a lot of good things for us, but God has got to be just in the process because if He's not just, He's not good. God is morally equal or balanced, and this enables Him to make truly just judgments. In the King James Version, Ezekiel 18.25 says, Yet say ye, the way of the Lord is not equal. Hear now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your servants unequal? Well, that's a really weird way of putting it. Isn't God equal? And most of us, if we would look at that, we would think fair. 
Is God fair? But, but if you look at it in the NIV, Ezekiel 18.25, yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear, O house of Israel, is my way unjust? Is it not your ways that are unjust? In other words, what the challenge is here is God says he's equal or unequal. God, if he's not equal, is considered to have inequity, which is the same word as iniquity. And if we are looking in at God and saying that God and calling him unjust, we are telling God he is full of iniquity. Who wants to do that one? Any, any takers want to stand before God and tell him that he's unfair, unjust, and that he's full of sin? Mankind has got a tendency, folks, to look at God's justice and his judgment and then throw it in his face as though he's been full of iniquity or unequal. When the reality of it is, is that God is just. And judgment in this term here where it's talking about God's judgment, the text of it is it's talking about the application of justice based upon the individual's actions, based upon their moral standing, their moral situation. You and I have to understand that the biggest issue with mankind today is our moral situation. Every one of us in this room is a moral situation. Every one of us. None of us are good enough to, to, to rise up to God and to be like God or to establish ourselves as God has been established. There's no way that we can do that. We are not good enough. We are all a moral disaster. Every single one of us. And God has to look into our moral circumstance, our moral situation, and make a judgment. All of us currently, if we don't know Christ, without Christ, are under the sentence of death. That's the judgment. Why? Because God is holy. And did you know that God is just in making that judgment? Even though some people will look in and say, Pastor Bob, that's really mean of God. I thought if God was good, how could he, how could he make such a judgment? Well, see, that's where the goodness of God and the justice of God come hand in hand, and, and we're going to just kind of tear it apart this morning. God has always been the same. He always will be the same. And mankind likes to peg Him as though He were a man. And we like to look at God and look at Him and say that His judgments should fit basically our standards. And when they don't, we say that He's full of iniquity. In the process of this, God steps in. In 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declared to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. So I want you to get into your minds today. When it comes to the judgment of God and the justice of God, because I've had Christians tell me, I don't know if I can believe that a God as good as ours will send somebody to hell. Listen, my friends, if you believe that, if you have allowed God to be softened to that point that He wouldn't send somebody to hell, you are greatly deceived and the enemy has deceived you and He's putting you on a path of rebellion to say, why does it matter what I do anymore? Our God is just. This is those honey and bitterness things we're talking about. Then somebody throws this question out at you and we're going to kind of camp on this the rest of the morning. Okay, pastor, if God, if God is just, how is it then He can save the wicked? By saving the wicked, and the wicked deserve death, then why is God just, and why is God still good if He saves the wicked when the wicked deserve death? 
Wow. Somebody says, I never heard that question before. You want to know why you've not heard that question before? Because nobody asks it. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. Nobody thinks they're lost. Nobody wants to understand that they are wicked and God's saving them out of their wickedness. And they're quick to judge instead God's justice of doing that and His mercy in it and call Him again full of iniquity because He wants to save the wicked. So we're going to talk about this a little bit. People think that they can just walk up to the pearly gates that they believe Peter's there, you know, to check with them. They get their theology based upon jokes. They, they really think St. Peter's going to be there to let him in, and if they can convince him, he'll let him in. No. Our God is making decisions and judging us based upon our moral situation. It's that simple. Our omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, who knows all, sees all, and is all-powerful, knows our situation. And He will make a judgment based on that. So how can He do this? First of all, kind of to set us up, God can save the wicked and still be just because God is undivided. You say, now what in the world are you talking about? God is undivided. He's unitary. God is not composed of parts. God is one. Okay, we are mind, soul, body, spirit. We're all of these different parts. We've got organs. We've got hands and legs. You know, you can take a guy's arm off and he can still live. You can take a guy's leg off and he can still live. You can take out my appendix at age 15 and I'm still living. I was uncomfortable with that. People say, ah, you don't really need it. And I'm saying, then why is it there? <laughs> if you don't need it, then why did the good Lord put it inside of me? Don't touch it. And then it swelled up and wanted to kill me. So I said, take it out. <laughs> Sometimes bad things happen to good people. That's all I got to say about that. You know, you can take large portions of the human brain and still live. But when it comes to God, you can't separate Him out. He is one. And if you take away God's goodness, you've taken away God. If you take away God's justice, you've taken away God. He's no longer God. He's no longer perfect. God's justice, God, isn't, God isn't, doesn't have justice. God is justice, just like God is love. God is merciful. God is kind. God is all of this stuff. If, if we're going to look at all these things about who God is, we can't say that justice is something that dwells outside of God somewhere. Justice is God. God is justice. He is. And so it's not something that we can part out. It's not something that is external or outside of Him that's forcing Him to do something. Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. The Jews taught it. The church teaches it to some extent. There's an understanding that, there's, that our God is one. Now, it's not just saying that we have one God. It is the fact that our God is unitary. He is one. One God. But Pastor Bob, this whole triune Godhead thing is crazy. I thought you didn't say there were parts, and yet there's Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and they operate. Listen to me. I'm not going to get caught up in the separations of it. The fact of it is, is they're all together God. And they all together work in absolute unison. There is no division. There is no argument. There is no uh, discerning between each other which is right and which is wrong. Nobody's trying to usurp authority. Nobody's trying. Listen, they are one. One. So this God we serve is unitary, and, and we have to believe that He is one. And you say, why is, why is it important for us to believe that He is one, and that He's able to save the wicked because He's one? Here, here is very important for us today. We, we like to bring God down to man's standards, okay? 
if there was a judge, and there are judges all the time that preside over cases that are very difficult to discern and to make judgments on. And there are times where a judge has to make a decision, let's just say somebody has to live or die or have to spend the rest of their lives in, in prison or whatever it may be. And there are times where that judge will sit behind that, that desk and see the individual that maybe has made a wrong or done something wrong and look at them and think, you know, this person's a really good person. I know that they made a stupid mistake. I wish that I could, I wish that I could show them mercy, but I can't because I'm bound by the law. And on the inside of that person, that judge, there's a conflict between their mercy and their justice. But see, God isn't divided. When God has to make a judgment, there is no external law that's pushing Him to do it. God makes decisions based on who He is. And God sits back, and when folks, let me say this very plainly to us today. When God's just justice says life, there's rejoicing. When God's justice says death, there's still rejoicing. but he's not good then. I'll show you in Scripture in a minute. Listen, God is not divided. And, and, and God is not sitting in heaven and when somebody refuses his mercy and brings judgment upon their lives, he is not sitting there weeping because he had to do it. Like many pastors try to preach to us. That's not our God. That's not him. Why did we get this image of our God in that soft, divided manner as though law and justice outside of Him begins to tell Him what to do and He has to submit to some other authority? Where did we get that picture? Because we've gotten it from our courts, our laws, and things that we have in this world. And again, we've taken God, shrunk Him down, and made Him human. And God says this in Psalm 50, 21, These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought I was altogether like you. But I will rebuke you and accuse you to your face. Listen, folks, God is not like us. But Pastor Bob, we're made in His image. We're made in the image of God. We may be made in His image, but He ain't like us. Jesus Christ, when He walked this earth, He may have been like us, but He ain't like us. 100% man, 100% God. Anybody else in this room want to make that claim? He may have suffered all that we suffered. He may have endured all that we endure. He may have experienced temptation in every way, but He ain't like us. God says, don't try to make me something I'm not. I'm not a man. I'm not divided. And when I make my judgments, I make them right. God can save the wicked and still be just because of His passion, secondly. Because of His passion. You say, because of His passion, what are you talking about? We've all seen, most of us have seen The Passion of Christ. How many of you actually have seen the movie Passion of the Christ? It's got some issues in it that I don't fully agree with, but most of it, I sit there and go, oh, I'm a humbled. I'm humbled and what a loser am I that he's had to endure all that because of me. And that's just a small picture of the suffering of Christ. It's very minimal and small. It's, it's, it's not even close to what all he really suffered, folks. The passion of Christ means great, deep suffering for us. He suffered for us. Why would God... Save the wicked and still be just because He's made an avenue through Jesus Christ. He paid the price that we deserve. He paid the price at the cross that we should have had. 
The blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for our sins is three things. It's infinite, it's almighty, and it's perfect. Three things. Infinite, almighty, perfect. It's infinite because it's been shed once for all, and it's good for all eternity. Can I get an amen in the house of God today? He don't have to die again, folks. He don't have to bleed again. He don't have to go and do it again. The blood that was shed on the cross for my sins and for your sins 2,000 years ago was sufficient for all eternity. How do I know it's eternal? Because God is eternal and Jesus is God. It's eternal. It's powerful. It's almighty. Why would you say that? Because our God we serve is an almighty God. And Jesus said before He went to the cross that all power, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. And so when the blood was shed, it was almighty, it was all-powerful. And when it was shed, it was done in such a way, folks, that will break every bondage, every stronghold, heal every body, heal every disease. And when we're called out of the grave someday and our body's put back in order and we're rejoicing around the throne of God with our spirit and our body back together, how did that happen? It happened because of the atonement of the blood of Jesus. It's all-powerful. It's only by His stripes that we're healed. It's mighty enough. And not only is it mighty, it's perfect. Why? Because we serve a perfect God and Jesus is God. It was a perfect sacrifice. That's why the lambs had to be spotless. Because it's pointing toward our spotless sacrifice. Jesus. So God, through His sacrifice, through all the work that He did, through His Son, can save the wicked. Through that, through that atonement, that justice is decided, folks, through that atonement. Either those that receive the atonement of that blood, that mercy that's offered through the blood of Christ. Jesus looks into their moral situation and He says, Life. They receive the mercy. Not that they deserve, but the mercy that's offered. But for the one that refuses, the one that's rebellious, the one that pursues their own desires, the one that refuses the atonement of the blood of Christ, the one that thinks everything I'm talking to you about today is a joke and not real, they, in turn, Jesus, the God, will look into their moral situation, their moral circumstance, and say death. And He won't shed a tear. But Pastor Bob, I read a book. Somebody went to heaven and talked to Jesus. And Jesus said that he's going to cry. I don't care what the stupid book says. God is not divided. And when God makes a just decision, it's just and it's finished. See, it's through the blood of Christ that we have this opportunity to know Him. It's through the blood of Christ that our, our debts are canceled and, and, and uh, it cancels our sin and destroys our sentence. It's only through Christ. You say, Pastor, I don't know this stuff where you're talking about how God pours out judgment and, and He doesn't cry and they're still rejoicing. I don't believe that. That's not my God. My friend, you have made a God that you are worshiping that is not the true God. told you, sweet in the mouth, bitter, bitter in the stomach. I'll give you one example. Revelation chapter 16. This is in the midst of, of, of literally hell on earth, folks. 
This is in the midst of God pouring out His judgment. The type of judgment that drives people who are unrepentant to run into caves and say, fall on us so that we don't have to look upon the face of the one on the throne. The type of judgment where a third are killed. Where another third are killed. A type of judgment where the sea turns to blood. A type of judgment where things are burnt and all the green grasses burn up. When we see that kind of stuff, people like to picture God on the throne with a tear down His face going, oh no, I have to pour judgment out because I'm required to. And then we look at Revelation 16, 5-7. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, you are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the Holy One because you have so judged for they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve and I heard the altar respond yes Lord God Almighty true and just are your judgments doesn't sound like a weeping God on a throne does it it's a God of justice folks who is good that's extinguished every ounce of mercy through his son's blood and the sacrifice given until rebellious man refuses it and says I believe my God wouldn't send me to hell for this and they do it anyway And they reject the atonement. And they reject the salvation. They reject folks going to church every week, in and out, in and out, in and out, never knowing who their God is and think that someday I'm just going to go to heaven because I've been a really nice person. It only comes down to one avenue. It comes down to the blood that was shed on a cross for my sins. That's it. That's my only hope of God looking into my life and saying, eternal life or eternal death. Don't think you're going to stand in front of the throne of God someday and try to convince Him otherwise (coughs) because by that time the sentence has been passed. It's just been waiting to be given and carried out. He will not war with mercy at that time. He's not going to say, okay, so-and-so prayed the other day, so I'm going to go ahead. Okay, so-and-so went to church. No, God is just. But oh, the mystery and the wonder of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Without it, folks, we're completely lost. But I don't want to just focus as justice being on the lost. Justice is for the sinner too. The sinner that has come to Christ and said, I repent. There's justice. And do you know that God is just in saying you've surrendered yourself to the blood of the atonement? You receive it? Life. That's just as just. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He's just in forgiving us. It's right. It's equal. He's not full of iniquity by showing us that He's just. Psalm 32. This is called being justified by faith. We see it all through the Word of God. I don't care how many people tell me that justified by faith is false. All you have to do is read the Word. It says it. All over the place. Old Testament, New Testament. We're saved by faith. Period. That's the only way from the beginning to end everybody's ever been saved is, is by God's grace as they put faith in Him. For us, we put our faith in Christ. Psalm 32, the psalmist writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I thank God that He's relentless being heavy upon me so that I would finally repent someday. He's good, folks. 
All the time. And all the time, God is good. You forgot since we've been talking about justice, haven't you? Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Pretty easy formula, isn't it? Confessed them to Him and He forgave. Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves as the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. Romans 10 But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe, you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame can I get an amen for that one? If you will trust Him, you don't have to worry about the fiery judgment of hell. It says you'll never be put to shame. Never. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is infinite. The atonement's infinite and all power. You don't ever have to worry about being put to shame. Why? Because it's all powerful and perfect, folks. That's why God can save the wicked and still be just. It's because of the work He's done on the cross. Thirdly and lastly, God can be just and still justify a sinner because compassion flows from His goodness, from His good nature. When God punishes the wicked, it is a just thing to do because it's consistent with the wicked man's heart. But when God pardons a wicked man, it is a just thing to do as well because it is consistent with God's nature. So we have God the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost always acting like God. People always struggle with the understanding of justice and God because, folks, let me be honest with you, we can't handle the wrath of God any more than we can handle the mercy of God. What am I talking about? God has made very clear to me multiple times driving down the interstate on a busy interstate why He's not given me the freedom to just exercise the wrath of God on whoever I want to. Right? And smoking cars spinning off of the interstate as I drive down. Oh, it looks like Bob's been here again. God. God can't entrust me with that because I am not Him. And I will mishandle it. Did you know that God can't even trust us with His mercy as it comes to eternity because He knows that we'll mishandle it? Stop and think about it for a second. Let's say today, in the very human nature that we are, God says, okay, you can go ahead and I'm going to allow everybody that comes through, you decide whether or not they're going to spend eternity with me or to be in hell. Right now, I see grimaces all over the room. Because most of us know that we couldn't do that. We can't be just. And most of us know, too, that when it comes to the mercy of God, that if we're entrusted with filling heaven with His saints, the people we would pick and choose to come in wouldn't necessarily be saintly, would they? They'd be our friends and our neighbors and the people we like. People we don't like, you go, eh. People we don't necessarily think is as cool as we are. And now suddenly, instead of having heaven on earth, we have earth in heaven. And God will not have that. God will not have iniquity carried into eternity with Him. 
folks, we would mishandle it. But God, in His goodness, will not mishandle it. God, in His goodness, in His justice, work hand in hand. It works hand in hand with His kindness. It works in hand in hand with His gentleness. And, and, and He will not create a mess by doing it. And the only way, as Amber comes, worship team or whoever, the only way to eternal life is to rest upon the goodness and mercy of God offered through an undivided atonement of His Son, Jesus Christ. Folks, there is not another way. There's not another avenue. You're not going to get into heaven by being a really nice person. You're not going to get there by being good based upon your standards. We're only going to get there based upon the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. And we know, we see this all through the Scripture, many examples where people are trying to get in different ways. Jesus talks about the sheep and how the thief and the robber tries to find another way into the sheepfold. Pastor, but he was talking about false prophets. I understand that. But, but get the image with me, if you will, for just a minute. Those that have a desire and a purpose to get into a sheepfold other than by what? The gate. And Jesus is, I am the gate. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Nobody. Now, you may like that. You may hate that. doesn't matter to God. You can, you can attribute that as iniquity to Him. Say that's selfish. If He wants to. But listen, folks. There's, there's a couple of gates that we have to choose from. We can choose the wide one, which leads to destruction. Or we can choose the narrow one that few find. The problem with us today is, is that there's so many people that are trying to get into the sheep pen, trying to get into the sheepfold, trying to get into heaven by climbing in some other way. You know what they're called? Thieves and robbers. What do thieves and robbers have coming for them? A sentence. A justified sentence. Remember Jesus talking about the wedding banquet and how they invited all in and and, and so many came and so many refused and so on and so forth and yet they find one guy in there that shows up and sneaks in he doesn't have on wedding clothes. He was cast out. These are a couple of word pictures for us to understand eternity in heaven and our Lord. But can I tell you something that nobody's going to sneak into heaven on accident. Nobody's going to step in and then, you know, two eons later look back and go, what are you doing here? No, our God is omniscient, He's omnipresent, He's omnipotent. He knows every single heart, He knows every single decision, He knows every single life. And the judgments He bases Himself, bases upon our moral situation, He bases them upon that and He does it right and it's just and it's good. And all of God's judgments are celebrated. That's hard for us to swallow, isn't it? That's really hard for us to swallow. Because I've had Christians try to convince me that God won't send anybody to hell. I've had other people try to say that all the scriptures about hell are usually just a symbol of, of the burning area outside of Israel and, and that it's talking about judgment in this life. And it's not talking about eternal judgment. My friends, you can try to soften it all you want to. You're not going to change God. I'm not going to stand before Him and say, but Lord, I misunderstood. It doesn't matter. He's reached His grace out. He's given opportunity. And the justice that's going to be handed down, whether it be life or death, will be good and right. This is hard, isn't it? Isn't that hard? But for Jesus. Thank you, God. Because I am not deserving. 
Jesus went to the cross not to change God, folks, but to change us. People think the Jesus of the Old Testament is different than the Jesus, in the, or the God in the Old Testament is different than the God in the New Testament. No, they're not. They're exactly the same. The earth may not be opening up and swallowing people, even though we deserve it. But there is justice that will come at some point if we don't bow our knee to the cross. And that avenue is here today. Stand with me, if you will. I am so thankful. I am so thankful in our church that I can preach a message like this. I'm so thankful today that I can even get up and mouth these words and know that when we leave this place, people are going to love me anyway. I praise God that we're in a building where this will be received. It will be chewed on. It will be thought about. It will be prayed about. It will be searched out throughout the Scripture. And people will sit there and go, wow, God is amazing. I'm thankful for our church. I'm thankful for you. You know that? Praise God that there are people that will receive truth. Because there's not a lot of churches, I guarantee you the message like I preach today isn't going to be preached in a lot of pulpits. But there's honey and there's bitterness when it comes to our God. The choice is ours. Which one do we want it to be? <laughs> Amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you Lord for